sweet, sweet victory. I was so excited to start this show that I cut the intro by accident there, but I'm sure you'll all forgive me. We've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to talk about a Montreal Canadiens win. It's been a while since I've gotten to say that, and uh, we've got Scott Matla on from Locked On Canadians and Habs Eyes on the Prize. So let's bring Scott in right now. Scott, how you feeling, man? Uh, Habs won which always a bonus and they won a game that they probably deserve to win in regulation. So I'm, I'm never going to be upset about that after what has it been the last week where great game in Vegas probably should have won that. And then they just laid egg after egg after that. This was a, a really nice kind of balancing moment, I think for this team and never upset to see Cole Caulfield get on the score sheet. Right. It'd been a a long time for Cole Caulfield since we've seen him score. Yeah. three <laughs> overtime goals already this year, which is completely nuts. But hey, it's working for him. What's crazy is that Caulfield is still a point-per-game player in this young season. Uh, I believe it's, what, 13 and 13? And he's not shooting anywhere close to what we expect. Like, his shooting percentage is like half, half of what it was last year. Uh, Trinket says, I'm rocking the David Savard mustache. Yeah, it is for November. I'm not raising money for anything or anything just for fun but uh, yeah we'll we'll keep it for a little bit longer i don't love the look to be honest with you <laughs> the, the more hair that comes off the face while i've got the bald dome the more i feel like caillou and it's not it's not a confidence booster man it's just not a confidence booster but uh, let's talk about the game a little bit because i feel like this is a it was an interesting one. I think you and I, Scott, we were talking in DMs when the the lines were first announced, and both of us were like, what the shit is this? <laughs> Vomit on paper. <laughs> they looked really odd, but actually it was Marty Biron on the TSN broadcast said that it, it looked like uh, the coach just wanted to shake up the team and be like, listen, pay attention, and start playing better defensively after the last few games. And on that note, I feel like message received because at even strength at least the canadians like we'll talk about caden primo in the second segment because i feel like he deserves personal highlighting so does mike matheson but right now i think the team also deserves a really strong recommend or like commendation from us that they played a really really intense defensive game and frankly so did detroit there weren't very many great chances in this game but at even strength the canadians only allowed four high danger chances it's a game that's weird in that I, I was talking with in the uh, what is used to be the SB Nation Slack with the folks from Winging and Motown about this, and we both kind of looked. This is a game where nothing is really happening. Like things have happened, but nothing of note has happened. And that is a team getting back to basics and playing simple, easy hockey where they are smart with the puck. They are making simple reads. It's not flashy, but they're making the right plays and taking care of the puck something the Canadians haven't done since that Vegas game where they were careless in their own end, careless in the neutral zone, trying to do too much. And I look at them tonight, and usually Monaghan's pretty reliable for that, but Suzuki was better at that, his turnover on the Comfort goal notwithstanding. Yeah. But getting back to basics is not a bad thing for a team that has been struggling to build on anything. If this is what your basics look like, where you can put in a pretty solid 60 minutes iffy in some spots, but a lot better than what we've seen. They can build on this against other teams and begin to, you know, start getting a little bit more fancy with things there. And I'm, 
I'm happy to have seen this here is that I, it wasn't the most exciting game in the world. I would have loved if the Canadians scored seven goals tonight. They got a win and they did all the little things right. And I think as a coach, you wanted to shake up the lines and send a message. Like you said, it looks like they got that message pretty clearly across the board here. Yeah, the attention to detail that has been extremely lacking at the very least, the last two first periods was not there today. Like or the, the attention to detail was there. Sorry, it, the lack of it wasn't there. It it was a weird game. Uh, like, I feel like everybody wanted to see Josh Anderson finally pot one, right? Because he's getting close. He played a really good game against Tampa, a really terrible game against St. Louis, probably his worst of the year. He did a couple good things tonight, but again, like the chances that he gets, I just, I, I, I want to look at him and like shake him by the shoulders and be like, Josh, accomplish one thing. Just, <laughs> just one thing, please accomplish something. I feel bad for him though. Cause it, it seems like every clear chance that he gets, there's just like the perfect stick in the way, but man, his recognition has got to be faster. Uh, at least it was defensively tonight. I'll say that. He has this weird habit this year, and I'll never understand it, of everything he does is he's going to his backhand when he's known for playing with speed and a ridiculous wrist shot on the fly there. He drew the penalty with a great move to protect the puck to not lose it and got the shot off. But every time he cuts to the net, he's cutting to his backhand. It's like, no. And I want to, like, bop him on the nose with a newspaper like a dog that peed on the floor. Just, no. Just shoot it. Where your strengths are, it's, again, simple. You you play fast and then get that snapshot off. You're going to surprise a lot more goalies than trying to slow down and change angles. That's that's not your game. That's Caulfield's game. That might be Newhook's game. I'm not super sure on that. That's Suzuki's game. That's not Josh Anderson's game. Josh Anderson's game is I'm I'm the juggernaut just going through walls and the Toronto Maple Leafs and scoring goals. But yeah, he's not crashing into the end boards. Dylan Scott says, why would they put him on the first line uh, talking about Anderson? I think this is the same reason that they put Slavkovsky on the first line to try to give him a chance, right? To, to see if he could get him going. I don't think these lines are long-term moves uh, because like we mentioned tonight, they, if they were clicking, I think as well offensively as they were defensively, they probably do score five, six goals. The Detroit Red Wings were pretty vulnerable there and Reimer played pretty well, but overall, I think, the the fact that they split up Nick and Cole tells me that it's not a long-term thing because you're not going to sit there, like, no offense to him, not trying to trash him, but you're not going to sit Cole Caulfield with Christian Dvorak long-term. It's just not happening. No, and it wouldn't make sense to do that. And the thing is, I didn't mind the way Christian Dvorak played tonight in that Same. I still don't know what his ideal role with this team is because they brought him in to basically be Philip Deneau and that was not the case because they gave him Mike Hoffman and Josh Anderson immediately. But I think he's a really nice, you know, stabilizing presence in there and that there's a lot of guys tonight that I saw the best versions of themselves without them getting points on the board here. And I think Dvorak is part of that. And I'm also willing to give him a little bit more runway because he's missed all the end of last year and the start of this season he's getting up to speed there it is nice that now we do not have the alex newhook at center experiment going on anymore because i do not think they would have won this game tonight if that was still going on at this point yeah and how much better does he look how much more jump in his step you know like i think newhook i love his speed but i think his actual best attribute is taking the puck flat-footed along the boards in his own zone and finding a way through checkers 
to exit the zone with the puck on his stick. Whether it's like a quick bounce off the boards or uh, he puts it to space and catches it himself or just skates it out and surprises guys. He's really strong in that area. And when you're in the middle, you're not doing that as much. So he, to me, it's solidified the answer to that question. He's definitely a winger and I think he's going to be a good winger. He has some holes in his game still, but overall, I, I think a really good game for Alex Newhook, who needed a good game, big time. His his face on the bench after the goal call goal call wasn't overturned is still the funniest thing I've seen because he sits there for 15 seconds with just the most unbothered look on his face. And I like Newhook with Suzuki, and I liked him with Caulfield and Suzuki. And it is the biggest thing in that it cannot be controlled. Him with Kirby Doc and Slavkovsky looked so good together that yeah. I think that when you get into next season, you immediately put that trio back together. I, I like yeah. Slavkovsky with Suzuki and Caulfield. I I just don't like Suzuki or um, I don't like Slavkovsky with Josh Anderson just because their games don't mesh. But I'm interested to see where they can find that next kind of mesh and fit for Newhook here. Because like you said, I thought this was a really strong game for him without getting on the scoreboard. And I think he's going to pot a couple in the games coming up here. I think he's got the speed and, like you said, the strength to kind of give teams fits coming out of his own zone. And the speed to burn with that is going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah, I, I do wonder if the the unless Harvey Pennard is coming back really soon, it seems like they're taking their time with him, which I kind of love after the last two years. You know, like they're saying he's day to day and he's out a full week now and I'm fine with that. <laughs> it, it's good that they're actually letting players heal and not rushing them back in. So that that's good. But to, I, I would like to see new hook with Caulfield and Suzuki. They had those couple games together in preseason where they looked pretty strong and his speed adds a different element to that line that kind of allows Suzuki and Caulfield to play that same game that they played a lot early last year, where it's all about like the forecheck and forcing mistakes and, uh, capitalizing on those mistakes for like quick bang bang goals in the offensive zone. So I would like to see Newhook tried there if they're determined to move Slavkovsky somewhere else. I still think the best place for Slav is with Monahan and Gallagher. I know Pearson's good on that line, but I think Pearson's just a Swiss army knife. You can kind of stick him anywhere and he plays his game. There was a few game uh, plays tonight where I just looking at Tanner Pearson, like I just like him, you know, he just doesn't do dumb plays. I like to, that guy. To quote Marge Simpson holding a potato, I just think he's neat. Uh, <laughs> it's I look at him going, I'm like, I, and I say this about defensemen, a lot of people ask about like rocket defensemen is if I'm not noticing them, they're usually doing something pretty good overall. Yeah, And he just, he fits in. I asked you about this, I think in either a DM or a tweet that is like, he's a good complimentary piece that you can plug him and play him a lot like Brendan Gallagher used to be in this lineup and Rafael Harvey Pinard we're hoping can be that guy there in that I I would like to see him actually on that line with Gallagher there because at least you know what Brendan Gallagher is going to do he's going to get into that high danger area and Slavkovsky likes to work off the boards and put pucks in there or put pucks towards the net when he gets fed there and if you have Gallagher in the area getting in the goalie's face you're creating the chaos that breeds goal scoring opportunities for a player that thrives on confidence, even if it's ugly and bounces off of Brendan Gallagher's kneecap or whatever, it's a building <laughs> thing for Slavkovsky. And I think that's potentially Martin St. Louis' biggest challenge this year is build that confidence now. And I'd like to see him on that line. And it's 
the hardest part is I don't want people to see it as, oh, this is a demotion for him from the top line. It's it's about finding fit. And I think that's yeah. a really important thing for the Canadians this year is find your fits to build on for next season when you have Kirby Doc back and you could be adding pieces like an Owen Beck, a Joshua Waugh full time and and more. So Yeah, I still think Joshua Waugh is gonna end up like halfway through this season, he'll be a full time hab, but we'll see. Uh yeah, I, I think most reasonable people wouldn't see it as a demotion for Slavkovsky. Like tonight's line shakeup, I think most people understand that, that was not about getting Slavkovsky off that top line, unless they also think Caulfield was getting punished, which I don't think so. I think he's still Marty's favorite child, <laughs> maybe even more than his own children. Uh, no, not not serious. Of course, he loves his own kids more. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, Caulfield's pretty damn lovable, man. I'd adopt him. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, (laughs) I don't think uh, most people are as paranoid about Slavkovsky as they were this time last week, which I think it shows both the temperamental nature of this Montreal Canadiens fan base, and also it shows that a little bit of opportunity goes a long way, right? I think we've seen a marked improvement in his play, especially on the defensive side of the puck. It's just still a learning process. We've got to be managing expectations for Slavkovsky. He's a long-term project and he always has been. And and that's the thing is, is we know the hardest part is when you see how good a player can be. Yep. And we've seen him be really, really good. I thought he had a good game tonight in ways that were not, were subtle and not like, Oh wow. Look at this in that he's stopping in front of the net and getting his chances. He's not over skating pucks. He's not trying to do too much. It goes back to what I said at the beginning of this year is he simplified and got more chances out of it and it is a building thing i still think he's a better playmaker than he is a goal scorer i think he has the ability to score good goals and that i really truly just want to see him somewhere else but power play too in those last like 15 20 seconds i'd love to see him be a goal line guy operating using that body drawing defenders and using that reach to just drive teams nuts on the power play because i think that's where they're going to unlock that that next level of what your Slavkovsky can be yeah, I, I'd just put him where Anderson is on the first power play. I think that's the easiest solution, right? Get him in that middle area and let him get some pucks and start working on his one-timer a little bit. He has a shot. We've all seen it. It's just, it seems he hasn't really put it together to get that shot off in the NHL yet. It reminds me, this is going to be a comparison that people get really upset about, but it reminds me a little bit of Mike McCarron. You remember like when he first made the NHL, with the Habs and like his underlying numbers were actually pretty strong. Uh, he was getting into the right spots, but like the puck would get on his stick and it was like four seconds before he decided what to do with it. Slaps not that slow, but it, it, there's like that fraction of a second too slow in his decision-making to be a, a high level player right now. And eventually he'll get a little bit better at that. I mean, Hey, look, Mike McCarron's a pretty darn good player right now. <laughs> It was just weird to say, I mean, he probably wouldn't have gotten this many chances if he wasn't six foot 20, you know, but uh, it, it helps. But Slav's got that size too, not as but big, but uh, he's got the size, so he'll continue to get chances as well. Uh, comment here from home account says, Habs had pretty good sticks tonight. I think that sums up the main difference between this game and the previous two games. Good sticks and they're moving their feet, right? Those first periods, the last couple games, nobody was moving their feet. Yeah, it's this was a game where they came out and they it, it, again, it wasn't exciting, but it was crisp. It was prompt and it was smart. 
This is a team that they're not going to always be the most exciting. We know how good Caulfield is. We know how good Suzuki is, etc. But they play at their best when it's just wave after wave after wave. Because they had that power play. I think it was in the second period. They didn't score. And then it was the fourth line. And then it was the third line. And they are just relentless wave after wave. And that if they can kill you with depth, a thousand, you know, death by a thousand cuts kind of thing, that's where they can find their success. That's how they made, you know, went deep in 2021 is it was here's Suzuki's line. And then here is Dano. And then here is this. And then here is this. And it just wears you down when you're constantly under pressure instead of running gun, one shot, one shot in where you can just clear it. it. It's they came ready to go tonight. And I know Detroit is maybe not at the upper level of some of those teams, but they're a team that can still score goals in bunches. And they came ready for that. They shut it down as best they as best as we've seen in a long time. And I think that's it's a great building block going into two really hard games this weekend against Boston and Vancouver. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about Mike Matheson and Caden Primo in a minute, but first I got to tell you about our new sponsor. The NHL season is heading up is heating up and there's never been a better time to get in on the action. Whether you're looking to hammer an Austin Matthews, anytime goal, man, it's an easy bet even though he seems to score in bunches right now, but most of the time pretty easy bet or ride the puck line with the Montreal Canadiens. Again, I advise against it, usually. I, I will say, every time that I've bet on the Canadians in the last two years to win, they've lost. So maybe follow what I'm doing and uh, don't do that. Our sign-up partners, at uh, our sign-up expert, want to make sure you're ready to sweat your bets with one of the best. Sign-up expert is hooking up our listeners with one of the newest sports books available in Canada, Batano. Batano is home to some of the best odds when it comes to betting on the NHL and offers unique markets, including virtual soccer and basketball. All you have to do to get started is scan that QR code that's at the bottom of your screen right now, or click the link in the description of this video to register and place that first bet. If you thought the Vancouver Canucks have been the best surprise of the season so far, wait until you try Batano. Don't walk, run to check out Batano today. Scan that QR code or hit the link in the description to get started and start sweating your bets with the best. Always remember to bet responsibly and within your means. Viewers must be 19 plus to sign up for Batano. All right, Scott, maybe the biggest difference in terms of personnel in this game, it wasn't a lineup change. It wasn't a line change. Mike Matheson looked like Mike Matheson tonight. How refreshing was that for you? Because after the last few games watching him, I was starting to wonder what the heck was going on. I, for those who listen to Locked On Canadians, I shut the game off in the second period against Tampa Bay to record a show because I'm like, I'm not watching any more of this. Mike Matheson is playing like Douglas Murray who could skate, which is about the meanest thing I think I could possibly say about that anybody. Is very mean. <laughs> Am I wrong? No. Tell me what I'm telling lies. I like it's everything he did for the last two weeks is that it's like, his brain, I can see what he wants to do. And I'm like, oh, he can easily do that. And then his body just went, no, falling <laughs> down, bad passes, just reads that weren't there. He's a smart enough player positionally and with his skating that he can cover so much. And it wasn't there. And then tonight he scores that first goal. And I go, we're getting a good Matheson game tonight. I think he went one goal to assist tonight, which is outstanding for him. Yeah, he had a baller game tonight. You know, that, that first goal to open the scoring in the game, an absolute ripper, you know, like fantastic play. And 
you know, uh, Suzuki didn't get a point on that, but he did start the whole play and yes, interfered <laughs> with, with, I think it was cider, uh, when he came back across, but you know what, as much as, uh, the Red Wings were upset about that, I think Suzuki had a right to that ice and C- cider. If you look, I don't know if it was cider actually, but whoever that was for Detroit that was eking back, he looked and saw Suzuki. I think he was trying to interfere with Suzuki to cause an offside call. And Suzuki was trying to get back on side, and that's why the refs didn't call it. I think they saw what actually happened there, and I will give the refs credit. Made a right call. Made the correct call. Just like they did with the Pozzetta's penalty later in the game, where initially I thought he just shoved uh, Valeno over and overpowered him. But no, he grabbed his hip and, and turned him and made him fall. So, you know, good on the refs. Good good job, Stripes. They did the bare minimum. Hooray. They called <laughs> they Ryan overtime. <laughs> they did their jobs. It's like the broadcast. And I know we'll get back to Matson, but like, oh, wow, he's holding on to Cole Caulfield. I can't. That's a that's a bold call. It's the right call. You can't praise them for doing the bare minimum. What is this? Like, I Caulfield. will anyway. You got to exactly. be fair to them. After Steve called out uh, Wes McCauley on the STP the other day and the LFR, somebody here has to be nicer to the refs or else we're going to get shut down by scouting the refs or something. Did you see that, by the way? Scouting the refs even posted a column on it. Oh, I did not. So I had, I had listened to the episode where he was yelling at Wes McCauley, which, like, I get it. And... I have my own opinions on officiating that I try to keep to myself because I am a man who tries to swear a lot fucking less. Um, yes, in the swear <laughs> jar here. Um, just, uh, I, we could do an entire ref show and I don't want to because I do want to talk about how good Mike Matheson was and how it makes the entire Canadian's defense play. And that old adage that when there's a tough guy, everyone plays a foot taller. When Mike Matheson is playing well, the entire defense plays like they're above their grade a little bit and maybe i'm underrating some of the members of this canadian's defense but justin Barron looks a lot more confident with the puck he's not handling it like a grenade and jordan harris just continues to be like the best brett kulak replacement this team could have ever asked for and i mean that so complimentary of him jonathan kovacevic everybody is just playing consistently better and it goes back to playing smart with the puck and even arbor jackai who tends to sometimes drift a little bit seeking out the hit the physicality and everything everyone kind of got the message and was a lot more conservative without giving up the ability to make plays if that makes any sense here i think that they were conservative but not shelling and they were smart with that and i think that helps that canadians offense a little bit get those breakouts and odd man rushes started there Andrew, you're on mute, by the way. I am on mute. Oh, sorry. I was <laughs> trying to hold back a cough there. So uh, what, one of the things that I noticed about Matheson when he was struggling the most is like the puck kept bouncing over his stick. There were bad reads, but it seemed like he lost his soft touch as well. And it completely neutralized his speed game, right? Because what makes him so effective, partially anyway, is his ability to go from like zero to friggin' 100 miles an hour and catch guys flat-footed. He he like he'll be skating backwards, back across his own blue line, and then you blink and he's back over the other blue line. You're like, how the hell did that happen? And also, it's the end of the shift. And why does he have so much energy? That doesn't make any sense. So when that gets taken out of his game, it it really neuters the Canadians' offense, and it feels like they play as as a team much slower. He just increases the team speed, but to such a significant degree. 
So it was really nice to see that back and, and hopefully he can continue that because the Canadians desperately need one veteran on defense who can do something and he's the guy because he's the only option. So <laughs> there's that. All right, let's move on to uh, Caden Primo quick because I was really impressed by him tonight. Like we talked about, I think the Canadians did a lot for him, uh, which they didn't do in Jersey, but I think this is the best game of his NHL career. And I didn't think he played bad in the Jersey game. I think he was no, he in in a situation where it's like, here's this really good offensive team. Here is a team that is struggling defensively. Okay, good luck. And he did probably about as well as you could ask of him in that situation. And then tonight in Detroit, I noticed with him is that he was a lot better at sealing off his chances. When the puck hit him and he didn't want to rebound it in a direction, he closed it up, locked it down. His glove was secure. He was authoritative in his crease there. There's only one moment that I really noticed him kind of scrambling, and that was early on there, and the defense kind of bailed him out on that. He looked so composed, and watching him with his leg pads, he and I noticed this a lot with Carey Price, and before anyone thinks I'm conflating the two, I'm not. It's just a thing I noticed is, He's getting a shot and he is directing a rebound and starting a breakout the other way. And that is, that's something that you can kind of get through coaching, but it's something you get with practice and with skill. Carey Price was absolutely amazing at that. And watching Primo direct pucks to his team to keep the speed and pace going, because that's where they were finding their success is a really good sign. And I, it's good. He wins in his home state. He's from Michigan. He's probably got family there. He's been, he, it's his first NHL win, I think, since 2021, I think was the stat yeah. out there. It's really good for him. And if this is what Caden Primo is closer to looking like, rather than the kid who I think it was last year and the year before that came in and looked like a deer in headlights, that might speed up the Canadians trading a goalie here. They can trust him with more starts there because you got to figure it out sooner or later. And I think after a start like this, not to slight Montembeau or Allen, keep seeing what you've got there. If you've got another, I don't want to call Detroit a weaker team, but not Boston or Vancouver on your schedule there, give Caden Primo another shot and see, is this, was this the one-off game? Are you closer to Jersey? Are you closer to Detroit there? And figure that out. Because the sooner you get that sorted out, the sooner you've cleared cap space, you can make a deal happen with the Oilers who will give up way too much for anybody who could stop a beach ball at this point. And I think that's maybe what Kent Hughes' plan might be. I don't pretend to know what's going on in Kent Hughes' head, but I imagine he's cooking up something right now. Yeah, he's got to be. I mean, I know Edmonton is chasing after Jordan Binnington, but I assume that Hughes is working that phone as well. I know, it's great. Evander Kane and Jordan Binnington on the same team. If that happens and the Oilers win the Stanley Cup, I don't ever want to hear about locker room culture again. I don't ever want to hear about good guys and hockey being a, a game of good guys. Just sh shut up about that forever. <laughs> Every hockey person never speak to me about that again. Uh, Kay says that breaking news, Scott Matla from Locked On Canadians said Primo is as good as Carey Price. <laughs> Kay, Kay just why? on one tonight. Why? Well, it's, I'm sure the abs are doing something stupid. So like I, the frustration is coming towards me now. So there it goes. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Primo, the deer in the headlights thing is the biggest thing. The, the difference this year, uh, the battle level is much, much higher. What, what impressed me tonight is it seemed like a lot of Detroit's chances were very scrambly chances. And, you know, I know people are saying, uh, Romelli there said the second goal was bad. 
I don't know if the second goal was bad so much as a perfect shot. Like, yeah, it would have been great if he stopped it. It wasn't a scoring chance, but sometimes great shots beat good goalies. And overall tonight, I, I have no qualms about calling Primo like the first or second star of the game for, for me. He was he was really strong. I really liked his strength of holding the line on several plays where he was like just reaching out with the leg and taking away a shot at the last second. I was really impressed. I, I was really happy to see that for him, you know, to, to come in cold like that after not playing for so long and putting on that good of a performance. Like, like you said, Detroit's not a great team, but they've got some really highly skilled players at the top of their lineup that he had to deal with. And the whole OT sequence that led to James Reimer taking the dumbest penalty I've ever seen in my entire life is started with Caden Primo with a ridiculous save on Alex Debrinkat. Yeah, And then the play goes the other way. James Reimer temporarily loses leave of all of his senses and the Habs win in overtime. But it all started with Caden Primo making a big save through traffic and everything on there. And that's it's, it's a confidence builder. He looked confident because people know I cover the Rocket. I saw Caden Primo at his absolute professional best in the 2021 AHL playoffs. This is what that Caden Primo looked like. Everything was with a purpose. Everything was with authority. If he didn't want to get the puck up after a save, it's in that glove. It's going over. He wants it directed. He's directing it. If he's kicking that pad out, it is kick across, save, back in position for the next shot. Everything came together. And now can they get more of that built game after game? And I think that this is the absolute kind of thing you build on. I'm not saying start him over one of the vets in the next game there. But like I said, give him an opportunity to build on this. Don't let him sit for another two and a half weeks before his next game, or don't throw him to the wolves against somebody. Give him starts to build on. Yeah. You're you're kind of writing off, not writing off the season, but using this as a season for analysis. Go and analyze what you have in Caden Primo. You've got him under contract for one more year after this one. Figure out what you have before Fowler, before Dobish, before Quentin Miller, and everyone start hitting. Uh, the next level of their careers too. Yeah, I, I agree. The one thing I would not do with Primo is give him the Canucks on Sunday. I don't think he needs to face a team that's shooting 30% every game and just destroy that newfound confidence. I I would put Jake Allen in for that one because he's the vet and he can kind of deal with it. And may, maybe you go Sam Montembeau on Saturday against the Bruins. I, he's your like, one a starter i guess and then maybe you go primo against calgary on tuesday it, that's the only way i can see it really working for these next three games but I, I agree that primo needs to start more he hasn't given them any indication that he shouldn't be getting more games right i, I think Allen has had two brutal games uh between a bunch of fantastic ones montebo has been kind of up and down primo's been all right so let him try you know and it's not to say that Allen is at fault for like the games in front of him and the defenses no. are just non-existent, but sometimes a guy just needs a break from whatever the hell that was in front of him here. And if Matheson is over whatever Halloween candy induced brain fog was going on there, okay, then maybe we'll see those results start to turn the corner a little bit here. But with Calgary coming up, I do think that's an ideal game for Caden Primo to start, or if they're if they want to give Montebo a bounce back game, you look at that, but that should be a circled on their calendar that this should be that game for sure. 
I still think by the time American Thanksgiving rolls around, they're going to be down to two goalies. Something's got to give uh, somewhere in the league, namely Edmonton at the, at this point with goaltending. Yeah, you, you would think something's got to give there very quick because they're under the gun as well. You know, there's rumors of like Jay Woodcroft having like being on the chopping block. And I'm like, if you fire a coach because your goalies can't stop a puck, you're just not you're not very smart. But we'll we'll move on from uh, from Primo here. I want to talk about Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. But before I do, I just want to remind everybody to please like the stream, hit that subscribe button as well. Subscribe to SDPN. And hey, if you really like the show, share us on your favorite social media of choice. Check us out on our podcasts on uh, Apple Music and Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast. Throw us a rating. And hey, if you really like us, maybe write a review. Write a positive review for us because that really helps. It helps everything out. And go do the same thing for Lockdown Canadians because Scott and Laura work their asses off five nights a week to bring you Canadians content. These two have been going for how many episodes have you done now? We, as of tonight, when I record, will be 951, a couple of Jeez. live streams, and a couple of bonus episodes. So let's call it an even 960 at this point. Not bad. So when you get to 1,000, what disgusting thing do you have to eat? Uh, we haven't landed on that yet. We were, try- we're trying to nail down a big guest, which we think we have an in for a very famous Montreal hockey player, arguably the best hockey player in Montreal at this current point in time. That is as Ooh. much as I can tell you. Uh, otherwise, uh, Sean Woodley said just uh, Mountain Dew Code Red uh, shower because I didn't win sexiest podcaster of the year. So. <laughs> Uh, we, we will do hot ones part two coming up for 3000 YouTube subscribers. It's just a matter of finding any free time for that. Yeah. I hear that. I actually have the truth or dab game. Now. Oh. So if you want to, <laughs> if you want to come on for that, we can get, you probably still have some uh, last dab. Hey, uh, no, it literally got locked in a box and thrown out immediately because it was so horrifying that uh, Carla didn't want to keep it in the house. So well, you uh, got to get some more now, man. I've got a spare one. I can send it to you. I we'll I'm ordering the next. I'm ordering the next season kit because uh, I just we we do wings for every Bills game on Sunday. So like, I need more. I need more wing sauce here right now. Yeah, I've gone through all the the good ones that aren't burn your face off from <laughs> the last years as well. So I'm gonna also probably gonna be getting another thing of wings. I don't know when we're going to do hot ones this year. We'll probably do it at some point, but uh, it'll be fun. All right. Uh, also remind everyone that if you want to ask a question at the end of the show, we will have a presser for you where you can ask Scott and I any questions. It can be about hockey. It can be about anything. You can ask if uh, Scott has ever considered a nose ring. You never know. Maybe he really wants his septum pierced. All right. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield separated tonight at even strength. And yet, despite they, them playing on different lines, they had almost the exact same stat line in terms of on-ice shot attempts for and against. On-ice shots for and against. Caulfield was a little bit better. Uh, expected goals, I think uh, Suzuki was a little bit better. But both score in this one. Both played pretty good games. But both scored when the two of them were together, ironically. I, like... What what do you even say, you know? Like it they had to separate them to try and figure out something to get other people on the team going, which is not mm. a bad thing because good goal scorers and good players find a way to put the puck in the net. Suzuki got it on the power play, obviously. Well, technically Caulfield got it on the power play too in overtime, but goal scorers will score goals. And 
I don't mind keeping them separated for a little bit now because teams could before without Kirby Doc being there in a functional second line be like, here's everything we're stacking against you, give you no space, nothing. And if you separate them, it's like, okay, we've got to kind of pick our poison here a little bit. Nick Suzuki can be creative with almost everything. He had Rem Pitt like as like a top line winger for yes, he did. games at a time. Like that still is offensive, to be honest with you. Hey, to be fair, they beat the Leafs with Rem Pitt like as a as a second line center, I'm pretty sure. And that was very, very funny. Uh it, and it Caulfield is it's and Caulfield might be one of the most lethal shooters in the league, in that fans of other teams look at his shot and go, What do you even do on on when he gets that kind of look on net? I don't think it's a long-term separation kind of thing until they kind of figure other things out, figure out where uh, Harvey Pinard will be, what they do with Jesse Olinen, et cetera. And they'll be back together before long, but just when they're together, the, the chemistry is just there. It's something we haven't really seen in a long time, I think, in Montreal. And I think the closest, Brian Gianta and Thomas Placan, it's always played really well together. Max Pacioretty and David DeHarnay played really well together. But this feels like that next level of just they're in sync. And when they're not, you can tell, but they are just, they're that good together that they can't afford, they just won't be able to keep them apart for long because that's just how it works. Yeah. I think it'd be a different situation if they were split up while Doc was healthy. Cause then you have another center that I think you could see having chemistry with Caulfield. And Doc's a pretty darn good playmaker. So you could see it making sense. But, Unless they're going to put him with Monaghan, like I again, like I said earlier in the show, I don't, I don't think they're going to stick Caulfield with with Dvorak for too much longer. And it's not trying to diminish Dvorak, but Dvorak is a shoot first player and doesn't have a lot of like playmaking skill, I would say, and also doesn't get nearly as much offensive zone time as Caulfield needs. So it just doesn't really make long-term sense. But yeah, I thought they both played great tonight, despite being split up. They played great apart. They played great together. I'm just really encouraged watching the two of them because, as I've mentioned a few times in this show, the biggest change on this team this year is that Caulfield and Suzuki are playing top-line matchups and not getting caved in defensively. Last year, they were scoring, and, you know, whether it was uh, shooting percentage swings early in the season for Suzuki or Caulfield just, like, murdering goalies with his shot constantly, they were getting things done offensively, but, like, the underlying numbers weren't really there offensively either. Defensively, they were brutal. This year, that just hasn't been the case. And I brought this up on the HIO show earlier this week. The last couple of years... When, since Suzuki or since uh, Caulfield took off after Ducharme, right? The constant conversation has been like, oh, who is the third person to put on that line that can complete the line, you know, that can support them defensively and make them able to take on uh, the other team's best players. That was always the conversation. And now it's who can they put on that line to get them going? And the fact that it's changed in that way is such a huge positive for the Montreal Canadiens. I feel like we don't talk about it enough that those two guys, the best two players on the team, have made a huge change in their game defensively. It's just not something they're getting credit for so far, even though they're both either a point per game or just under. Like It's been a great start to the season for those two, even though the even strength scoring has not been there. 
And I think that's part of it too, is that everyone's like, oh, well, we want this many goals because Caulfield can score at a 50 goal pace and Suzuki, we want to get to a point per game. And the hard part is, is that, and it, I, it's not to sound like an excuse is that losing Kirby doc a game and a half into the season changed so much of the complexity of this lineup here and that two functioning lines. And then that third line of the old dudes who aren't that old line there gives them would have given them three deep lines to match up against. And then a fourth line where you can rotate guys in and make things happen. Their defensive steps forward. I'm looking at the hockey stats card for this. And like the only two players in the negatives really for defensive play are the old dudes who aren't that old line. And it looks like uh, Jordan Harris, which no, actually, no, they're the only three that had negative defensive value out of this, but like, that's a step forward. That's an evolution in the game. There's that I don't need Cole Caulfield to be Patrice Bergeron. I don't need him to be, you know, Sasha Barkov. If he can hold his own to get the puck going the other way and they can score off of that, that's a huge step forward. We talk about Slavkovsky's development. Caulfield's still developing as a player too and adding this in there. And I'd like to see them give Yessi Olin a shot on that line just because I thought he's had some defensive value this year as a penalty killer. And then he's been benched in or scratched in favor of Yoel Armia, which is an entirely different thing here that I think that he brings that same speed, that finesse and that East West game that they thrive on while also being decent enough defensively to get the puck out and make things happen there. It's something I would like to see on that line of they're not going to go with Slavkovsky or new hook there. And I think that's how you can get that next level and build on that. I've, I know people look at Suzuki that, oh, he isn't scoring. Suzuki always does this thing where he has a little cold streak, and then he just goes off. Goal, multi-point game, goal, three-assist game, and just goes nuts. And it feels like we're on the precipice of another one of those. And Vancouver and Boston, you know, he's had big games against them before. I don't don't see any reason why this can't be any different. I know that it's tough matchups, but Nick Suzuki's proven he's not intimidated by top teams. Yeah, and I mean, he's, let's see here, he's got four, five, six, seven, eight, nine points in the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. So we might, we're already kind of in one for Nick. He's, he's shown up. It was a slow start to the season for him. But again, I I wonder, honestly, how much of the slow start at even strength is just them figuring out how to produce that even strength while also not being terrible defensively <laughs> you're taking on more competition and uh, uh more responsibility and you're gonna have to make some sacrifices offensively you know cole isn't flying the zone as earlier this year uh what's surprising to me is even away from suzuki cole caulfield's defense has not been bad even with dvorak tonight you know like and dvorak and monahan actually split the larkin matchup which is shocking you know, the, the Canadians didn't need to worry about matching Suzuki to Larkin, which makes everything so much easier. So it'll be interesting to see how long they run with these lines. I don't think it's going to be very long, but I think the results were pretty decent. I was going to say effort goes a long way in that I can be a little bit more forgiving about, oh, well, they're trying in the defensive zone and mistakes yeah. happen. Shit happens in hockey games. It's a It's a dumb sport played on knife shoes. Shit happens in that... If you're trying, I'm more willing to understand and see where you can be coached from. If you're not giving a crap at all and just kind of standing around looking pointless, then I have an issue because how do I coach that? Because either you're not getting it or you don't understand it. 
Caulfield feels so much more involved. And yes, he's smaller and not as strong as some of those other people, but he's still using, and Brian Gianta used to do this to second Brian Gianta reference tonight, wild, but to Zidane Char <laughs> is that he was so much smaller than him, though, that he learned how to maneuver around those bigger players and just drive them nuts. And Caulfield's doing that more and more because he's, he's got so much more shiftiness to his game than people want to recognize. Yes, an incredible shooter, a great shooter, an elite shooter, also someone who is very good at being deceptive. His overtime goal tonight is because he put Mo Sider, who is not a slouch, into a blender yep. with his offensive attack. And that is, that's taking your game and going to another level with it. And I, I keep repeating it, but it's what you want to see from this season. They're not going to be a playoff team, but if you're building and taking that next step, you're making, you're still getting a winning season out of this one way or the other. 100%. There's multiple ways to win when you're in a rebuild, which is good. All right, let's take some questions from the chat. I actually, there was some one, it wasn't a question, it was a comment, but it was uh, Evan B. I guess it was a question, but it was. <laughs> It just threw me off for a minute there because I was laughing. I was trying not to like burst out laughing. He said he missed the game. What's this about Reimer grabbing Cole's shaft? Isn't that a sin? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a sin. Mm. You know what? And you know what? I was shocked that he <laughs> did that because how did you possibly think you were going to get away with that? He, but the refs took so long. That's the thing. He, he yeah, almost... The refs gave him so much time to let go, and they weren't going to call it if he let go. But he just kept holding on. And it's, it's like, like I don't did know, he man. think he had? I, I could excuse it, like, oh, we thought he still had the puck at first. Like he had dropped it in front of him and he was trying to cover it. But then he just kept holding on. And I kind of wanted Cole to just start skating the other way with him on the other end, like it's a sled with kids on it and go the other way. And it's, I've seen a lot of dumb penalties. I truly cannot think of anything that i've seen that is that dumb outside of i can't remember who it was who had the puck th shot at them and they grabbed it and just picked it up and like overhand threw it down the ice for a penalty and i think this is one of the things that rivals that it is i i've never seen a man's brain shut off in, in such an impressive fashion over time three on three and they had an odd man rush the other way because of it and he probably cost them an overtime goal with it because they weren't going to call it until he just wouldn't wouldn't let go. I guess so. Yeah, not smart. Right, wait, Scott, are you telling me that people who think gay people have cooties or are afraid of them <laughs> might not be the smartest? Oh my goodness, the shock! Oh man! All right, we'll stop bullying Reimer now. Although he deserves every little bit of it. <laughs> there was. Uh, <laughs> A couple of questions asking us to talk about Sean Monahan and the heater that he's on. Yeah, Sean Monahan's fantastic. He's such a smart player. Like I just like him. He he's like Pearson, but much more talented. Right? Just smart guy. Rarely makes mistakes. Oddly enough, I thought it was a bit of an off night for him, but uh, he did score that goal. It was disallowed, and I think he got an assist on uh, Suzuki's goal later. He's just. I would call it, like, if I were to come up with a nickname for Monaghan, it's just the facilitator. He makes everything work. And how can you not love a player like that? I was going to say, he did get the secondary assist on Suzuki's power play goal. He's on a seven-game point streak. And we saw this last year with him, is that he's such an effective player because he does all those little things right, regardless of what zone he's in. He wins face-offs. 
He makes good passes in the neutral zone. He makes things happen around the net. The goal that was disallowed for him tonight was one probably shouldn't have been wouldn't have counted anyways because he knocked Cider's stick into the next level, which is a penalty depending on which official is calling the game. Right. It's like, is it a penalty? Who knows? It's to go from under. It's a stick lift, not a slash, right? It's always funny when it happens though, because Slavkovsky did a few games ago where he's just skating across the middle and just flicks a dude's stick into the next into the upper deck. But the goal he scored, the shot hits Reimer's pad, and then he literally scoops it out and then lifts it over him. It's smart plays that he doesn't panic. Yeah. And like you said, he facilitates so much that I am gonna miss him when they you trade him at the trade deadline this year because he's a crucial part of this team. But damn if he isn't just driving that trade value through the roof right now. You already, you already got a first-round pick for Sean Monahan. They didn't have to trade him at that point. And it's trending towards he's probably going to be worth another one the way he's going. Such a smart, smart player. And one that I'm kind of glad another team decided wasn't worth the money anymore because maybe he wasn't. But for his current contract, might be one of the best values in the NHL. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to hurt a little bit, I think, when he eventually does get traded this year. But the Canadians are going to get a huge package. The combination of how good he is with that salary and the expiring contract, like, it's he's going to be worth a lot. It's going to be a big return. Uh, King in the North says, Monaghan is the judge and Arbor is the sheriff. I'll go one step further. Cole Caulfield and OT is the executioner. I, I yeah. Judge, jury, yeah, I can get down with that. In that, who's the jury? Our, the fans? Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> Twitter's just the the audience throwing garbage, and it's like WCW audiences. I was gonna say it's a kangaroo is. court. They're just throwing rotten cabbages and everything when they don't like how things are going. Which, please, do not throw rotten cabbages on the ice at the Bell Center. Uh, I think that'd be weird. Also funny because that's how Steve Bruce got fired at both Aston Villa and Newcastle. Someone threw a cabbage on the pitch, but <laughs> it's uh, I yeah weird to happen once. It's uh, very weird to happen twice. <laughs> I, I I don't know how to describe it, but it is one of the funniest things. There's a photo of him just standing on the touchline, and there's just a head of cabbage sitting by his feet for some reason. So. Um, I, I am very in favor of Cole Caulfield as the OT executioner. Uh, yeah. K says that uh, Nick Suzuki is the judge or the jury because he's fair and balanced. I feel like yeah, that's I true. I was going to say, do we don't have anyone who went to a law school on the Canadians. And I think Kovacevic went to an engineering school and Sean Farrell's in the AHL. So yeah, I get Yeah, sure. It's either him or Jordan Harris. Jordan Harris seems like a pretty level-headed person. So that's true. I agree. All right, uh, I'll do one last one, and then we're going to cut this one tonight. As much fun as it is to talk to you all, bedtime looms, getting old. Uh, Seeing if there's any other questions here. Maybe not. I think we might be able to wrap here. All right, so thanks, everyone, for joining me here with Scott on Game Over Montreal. Finally a fun one, because the last two, (laughs) frankly, weren't fun. It's one thing to lose, but it's another thing to lose like that and be ugly hockey uh cases what's with laval with the last question they don't have much for goaltending and uh william trudeau is having a tough season which throws off their defense a lot they've got good forwards 
I was going to say this, they did this last year and the minute the defense stabilizes a little bit, they'll be just fine. And yeah. teams have just decided that they're just going to cover Joshua Wall relentlessly as he puts up seven to eight shots a game or anyways. So the minute he starts breaking through again, games are going to start turning a little bit. Dobish hasn't been great, but the defense in front of him has been uh, Logan Mayu, Matthias Norlinder and Jaden Struble and friends. And yeah. that's about it. So, yeah. And like, I think struble has been really strong. Um, Mayu and Norlander, we all know they have flaws in the defensive yes. end. Right. So uh, that's just how it's gone. Uh, final word. Amy P says, who do you think wins Edmonton or San Jose tonight? In God, the it bowl? will be so funny if it's San. Are they in San Jose or in Edmonton? In San Jose. Oh, I was, if it was in Edmonton. In... <laughs> if it was in Edmonton, Sharks win. That's oh, 100%. That. I wanted it to be in Edmonton because I want, I, we're, we are at, we are at peak jersey tossing discourse. Edmonton's down one nothing. Are you serious? Oh no. my God. They allowed a shorty, according to Amy. Hold on. <laughs> right. Oh, it hasn't updated on NHL.com yet, but that's absolutely hilarious. Oh my God. If Edmonton loses this one, somebody's getting fired. It should be Ken Holland. But, oh, it will be, but they're going to fire Jay Woodcroft and hire, like, is Daryl Sutter the funniest possible option for this? Probably. Can it's we make Connor McDavid ones. boring? <laughs> Let's find okay. out, shall we? She says almost allowed a shorty. Okay, so it's still 0-0. Okay. All right. I, okay. I think Edmonton wins it tonight. I can't, I can't see them losing. All right. <laughs> We, we got to cut it there. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. It's always fun with you. Everyone in the chat, K, Amy, KQ, Thomas, Jeff Boisvert, uh, who else is here? Evan B, all you fun people, Mike uh, Newfield, uh, who else is here? King of the North, Montreal MUFC, all you folks who come out here every night, Bernardo giving me crap for <laughs> the McCarran Slavkovsky comparison. All of you make it so much fun to be here. The community that we have is amazing. We'll see you again on Saturday night. Thanks to Scott. Make sure you follow the Locked On Canadians podcast. Go over to Habs Eyes on the Prize. Still the best Montreal Canadiens website on this planet. You can get all your coverage there. And we'll be with you shortly. 